When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. All right, best and worst of the weekend, I guess we can go with this. Kyle Trask kind of had a good and bad and then in the end, the Bucks didn't win. They lost to the Miami Dolphins on a 49-yard field goal attempt that clunked off the right upright by Jose Borgales. Pretty mixed results for Kyle Trask. He played pretty well. We're going to talk all about that and his two turnovers. And how about Drew Rasmussen? You know what, Steve? I have not been nervous watching a Rays baseball game in, like, mm, I don't know, forever. And when I say nervous, I mean, I, I don't have necessarily a rooting interest, but I do root for history. I root for players. And, and I root for something I'm watching that is so rare that there's been, what, less than 30 perfect games in mm-hmm. Major League history? I think it's like 26, 27, somewhere in there. And there he was, man, dealing 24 up, 24 down against a very good hitting Baltimore Orioles team. And he was efficient, and he had plenty of pitches left and then gave up, what, a leadoff double to start the ninth inning. And that was pretty much it but man what a performance by drew rasmussen he what was, was most impressive was the record for pitches in a perfect game it was 88 by david Cohn. he was at 63 pitches through seven innings <laughs> that's stupid right he was nine pitches an inning nine an inning three a batter yeah. and then you're setting down 24 in a row so you yeah. were like minimum of the minimum right yeah and i think he was through like 79 pitches through eight so he had a shot at setting the all-time record for least amount of pitches in a perfect game. Now, he had Just. to get there, of course. And as you pointed out on Twitter, too, had he gotten oh. 26 outs, the 27th was Brett Phillips. I, was, I, I just had this feeling, this premonition, that he was going to be 20, 26 out of 26 and up steps Brett Phillips, who slashes one or bleeds one somewhere, and the place would have gone, lost their, their entire minds. <laughs> And and Brett would have been laughing with his wings down and the whole thing. Um, but it didn't come to that. It didn't come to that because uh, Jorge Mateo uh, sort of took – it was probably his worst pitch of the day, got too much of the play to breaking ball because he had a wipeout breaking stuff. And uh, he slapped the double past Yandy Diaz, who almost got his glove on it. It was really close. Mm-hmm. Um, not sure he would have thrown him out. But uh, what a, what a tremendous performance when they really needed it against the Orioles. We'll talk all about that and, of course – the Bucks game as well. First, folks, I want to let you know that my electric bill is crazy. Uh, yours is too. We got solutions right here. It's May Electric Solar. They're a family-owned business. They've been installing solar electric systems for 12 years. You got all these fly-by-night companies. Somebody knocked on my door the other day, didn't know who they were. May Electric Solar is committed to you for the long term. They guarantee their workmanship with a 30-year labor and service warranty. Plus, with every installation, you get $750 worth of surge protection for all your appliances. That right there is the made difference. So if you visit their Hushin showroom, the May Electric displays all their products. They conduct on t- on-site testing so you can see exactly what they're going to install. Plus, and this is important, they don't use subcontractors. So you know exactly who is doing the job. So start saving today. Call sol- the solar energy experts, May Electric Solar at 727-819-2862. You can schedule a free estimate. 
You can lower your electric bill all year long and preserve the quality of your life and the quality of your appliances as well and save some money on electric bill. May Electric Solar, 727-819-2862. So preseason football, I suppose, is a necessary evil. And I say this because I still can't figure out why the NFL charges anything close. And I know they got variable pricing, anything close to real pricing uh, for a preseason game because literally no starters got near the field other than warm-ups for either team with the Dolphins or the Buccaneers on Saturday night. And I get it because I, I actually think that they, they've all got really good work during the week in the joint workouts. Of course, Tom Brady was there just one day. Um, but, you know, you're, you're basically watching tryouts. I mean, you're watching young players try to, you know, impress their coaching staffs, their front offices with what they can do when the lights come on. And for the Bucks, this preseason can kind of be narrowed down. There's a few positions, obviously, that they, that they have an interest in and in, in seeing who's going to win those jobs. We'll get into those. But basically, it can be narrowed down this way. What do we have in Kyle Trask? Like, what do we have? Like, who is this guy? Is he? Because if you remember, you know, when Tom Brady was out for 40 days and, and 40 nights, uh, it was going to be Blaine Gabbert and Trask battling it out for the starting job. And I suspect Gabbert would have won. But I also suspect Trask at some point would have give, been given the opportunity to try to play because the season probably wouldn't go, go all that well. But they have never really seen Kyle Trask. You know, last year's sample in the preseason was really abbreviated. Um, I, you know, the first game, you, you can't even remember a single player uh, who was in the NFL that he threw to that night. Uh, the numbers were really bad. And this is the thing. He wasn't playing with Mike Evans. And he wasn't playing with Chris Godwin's, Godwin. And he wasn't playing with Russell Gage or Julio Jones the other night. He was playing with a lot of receivers that were trying to make the team. Now, some of them you've heard of. Tyler Johnson, who kind of led the way. Uh, for the Bucks with six catches for 73 yards, as you would expect him to do because he's a bona fide NFL player. But he's he's got a lot of guys, including offensive linemen, that frankly, you know, some of which aren't going to be on the team. But he, he wound up playing, at, he came into the game in the second quarter, he wound up playing 80% of the snaps the other night. And I must say, he made a damn good accounting for himself. I mean, he was, he was really um, a leader, he was sort of the calm and the chaos. Um, he made plays when he needed to, and he got his team down the field in field goal range, and if not for the worst moment of the game, Jorge Borgales clanging one off the right upright from 40, what, 49 yards, I think, that would have been the game winner on the buzzer. So they lose the game, but the, the score is not as important. What's important is that he overcame some big situations third and like 22, fourth and 12, that sort of thing, on that drive um, to keep them going and got them in field goal range uh, and, and you know, did his job as a quarterback uh, in a two-minute situation, which is how most games come down. So I was very impressed with him. Unfortunately, every silver lining has its cloud. And, you know, going back and watching sort of the replays of uh, this these two plays at the end of the first half, I, I can't really blame him for one of them. I mean, you know, pressure's going to happen. You, you got to have kind of an internal clock, you know, in in your mind. You won't always see uh, the left tackle get beat on your blind side necessarily. 
And so sometimes there's very little you can do about that. Um, but the one play, the one that got it going, um, Kyle Trask did get pressure and he did see it and he held the ball a little too long. And then when he threw it, uh, to Rashad white, whites, if he makes the catch, he's going to be tackled immediately. And in fact, he's kind of putting him in harm's way a little bit, but then you have this fluky thing where it goes through his arms, uh, through his legs. And really the, the defensive back ends up catching it between his legs for the interception. Um, the next play, the Dolphins score uh, on a on a touchdown pass from Sky Thompson. We can get into him. He's the seventh round pick from Kansas State. Played the whole game for Miami. It was really pretty good. And then and then they go back out there. Still a two minute drill at the end of the first half. Still with the lead. Uh, and then you get the sack, fumble, scoop, and score, which wound up putting the Bucks behind. And so those two plays, you know, not all on the quarterback to say the least, but you can't turn the ball over. Like even when you have pressure, you know, um, you need to sense it and protect the football so you don't get, you know, the sack fumble. And the sack is one thing, but the sack fumble is the killer. And then they get a scoop and score behind it. So I, I thought it was a big step for him because he needed some success. Now, you know, does this mean playing against guys that may not make the Miami Dolphins in week one of the preseason is going to make him the heir apparent to Tom Brady? No, it doesn't. Uh, But it shows a ton of growth between last year's preseason and this year's preseason. And he's going to get a chance uh, at Tennessee not only to play a a significant amount of time, which which is the plan, whether it's 80%, I'm not sure, but also because Tom Brady is not going to be in Nashville, as far as we know, um, that means that Trask will get lots of reps against the Titans, uh, you know, during the joint workouts because they got practices on Wednesday, practices on Thursday, uh, sort of a walkthrough day off on Friday, and then they play Saturday night, and he'll play a lot in the game. So those those three days of work with the Titans is also uh, invaluable. Even though, you know, in talking to Trask, and I wrote a story about this before the game on Saturday, he's like, look. I can go out here and practice and take all the reps I want, and of course they're valuable. You want to make use of every rep. But the only thing that really matters is game time. You know, and and this is preseason game speed. And these are guys that, you know, like I said, might not always be in the right place at the right time. And, you know, you're going to benefit from that, and you're also going to suffer from it. Um, But at least it's at full speed. You know, when you're standing there in practice as a quarterback and they can't hit you, it's different, right? When you're a receiver and you're running across the middle of the field and you know that there's no contact, it's different, right? But when it's live and guys got bad intentions out there, now you can see who really plays. And you know what? Trask came to play. And I, and I think he's one of these guys, Steve, and you saw him in the SEC. I mean, we watched him go, you know, toe-to-toe with Alabama uh, in one of the most, you know, one of the best college football games that I saw him play. Um, and he had, you know, some NFL talent around him, obviously with Kyle Pitts and some others, but you know, he, he played at a high level and you know, it's, it's not unfathomable that if, if Mac Jones was, you know, being raved about a year ago, I think Trask can play with him. You know, I, I think he's cerebral. I think he's, I think he's calm. That was the biggest thing I took away is, you know, you've seen him at Florida too. He's calm under pressure. He doesn't really crack that much. He seems kind of like a gamer in that. Yeah, that's what I was trying to get to. If you follow his career, 
Mm-hmm. He doesn't win starting jobs early. Correct. He's got to be around. Mm-hmm. And then he takes advantage of those opportunities. Yeah. And, and part of that is being cerebral and studying and knowing Gamer. what you're That's supposed it. to do. But staying calm in the moment is tough for guys. And he seems to do that well. And right. it seems like when he gets opportunities, he takes advantage of them and shows you that maybe he's better than you thought he was based on practice. I mean, right. that, that's the impression I get from him and, and watching him at Florida and knowing his story and then seeing him here. Right. I mean, you know, it was just a week ago sitting there going, ooh, he was a little rough in practice and ooh, yeah. a couple throws here and there. And, you know, and that was the storyline last week. But then he comes in the game, mm-hmm. and, and with the exception of late in the first half, when the game kind of sped up a little bit. Right. You know, he counted himself, what was he, 25 of 33? 25 of 33, 258, mm-hmm. one touchdown, one in a fluky interception, a mm-hmm. 95-3 quarterback rating. Um, sacked a couple of times, but yeah, pretty good. I mean, a really good acquitting of himself, I thought. I, I, look, he, he played better, uh, particularly because of the narratives that were coming out of practice last week. He played a lot better than I think most Buccaneer fans anticipated he would. Right. And so that that's a good sign. Mm-hmm. Now, like you said, a lot of these guys on the Dolphins may not even be on the field come week one of the NFL. Right. A lot of the guys he's playing with on the Buccaneers aren't going to be on the field week one. Either. No doubt. You know, mm-hmm. so, I mean, it's not like he's ready now. That's not what we're saying. But but it was a better accounting of himself and a better performance than most expected, and that's always a good sign. Yeah, showed his development. I mean, Blaine Gabbard is a solid number two for those Florida fans or Bucks fans that think, oh, maybe Trask can get the backup job. No. No, tryouts are over. And I know Clyde Christensen said it during the offseason, and then Todd Bowles had to walk it back. No, nah, it's over. I mean, Gabbert came out. They had bad field position to start the game. Um, got kind of a bad return, you know, early on uh, by uh, Devin Tompkins, and they got pinned down there. So after a three and out, um, Gabbert leads them down the field, and they score, and he goes five for five for 56 yards, 23-yard touchdown to Jalen Darden, who, you know what? Jalen Darden's going to make this team. Uh, he's flashed in, in uh, preseason in camp. He, he definitely has taken a big step having been in the NFL. You know, it's a huge leap from North Texas to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Now, I want to see him return the football. They didn't have him returning the other night. It's, you know, it's clear if these other receivers are going to make it, they're going to have to do something on special teams. Darden is the same thing because, you know, you've got the top four receivers. If you're number five, and they probably wouldn't dress more than six, you're going to have to do something, whether it's cover kicks, uh, return the ball, or both. Uh, so, so I still want to see Darden return it. But as far as like, uh, he he looks much more confident as a route runner. His hands seem to be have calmed down a bit, uh, and he made it. He ran a great little skinny post uh, route, and you know, got behind and turned the guy around, and that was a great throw by by Blaine Gabbert, who looked efficient. I mean, five for five, you can't do much better than that. After the first series, Trask went five for six in his first series and let him down the field kind of methodically. They ran the ball a lot. You know, they ran the ball about 50% of the times. And, and I think that that might not be a harbinger of the future necessarily, but I do think that they, they wanted to see their running backs and, and, and see what those offensive linemen could do, especially, um, you know, at, at the left guard position and center with Robert Hainsey, who played about 20, 28 snaps or 24 snaps or so. Uh, so they wanted they wanted rushing attempts. They ran a lot on first down. They weren't that effective doing it, but they were balanced. And I and I kind of you know you, you see Todd Bowles over there. You see these defensive coaches, 
and you see the time of possession. I mean, they really had a huge advantage, even though those two turnovers at the end of the first half left them behind in the scoreboard. They they had about eight or nine minutes more of time of possession in the first half. You do that to teams, especially when you're playing an explosive team, uh, you know, whether it's you know, the Packers or, uh, you know, the Rams or somebody like that. When you do that, you really uh, help your chances of winning and you protect you know, you protect your quarterback and everything else. So I think there's going to be more emphasis on running the ball. I liked what I saw really from all the running backs, but I particularly liked Rashad White. Rashad White um, is a guy that if he can figure out who to block, he's willing enough um, in, in sort of pass protection situations, which you're not asked to do much at Arizona State. He's got it. I mean, he has tremendous hands. Um, had a couple catches for 13 yards, broke a tackle as long as was, was a, uh, uh, was, was for a first down. And then he led them in rushing, uh, with 32 yards on seven attempts. It's a 4.6 yard average. You know who he reminds, you know what his style is? It's Le'Veon Bell. He's one of these guys, you hand the ball off, you know, you, some guys you hand it off and they just run straight to the hole and whether it's there or not. They're going to press the hole, and they're going to make contact usually with their offensive lineman, and then boom, they're down, right? He gets the ball, and he kind of picks his way. He's not in a very big hurry, and then when he sees it, he hits it uh, just like Bell does. It's a very similar running style. He's, he's a, uh, kind of an upright back, very fluid, very tall, but a natural pass catcher, and I thought, I thought he really played well. A couple other guys that stood out, especially late in this game, and they were mentioned by – Todd Bowles, which you always want. If you're a young player, you want to be mentioned by the head coach after the game. The first one, uh, I would say, was uh, Kalon Geiger, uh, number 80. He flashed, uh, especially late in the game. This is uh, uh, a young player that really we haven't talked about in a, in a wide receiver room um, that is so, you know, crowded at this point. Um, you know, you wonder, like, is there any room for anybody else? But you know, he he's a kid from Texas Tech. He's he's a fairly, you know, a, a bigger body guy, if you will. Uh, made some clutch catches, um, catching runs and things like that. The star of the receivers, other than Tyler Johnson, who was very good in the first half and led him with 73 yards, was uh, Jareth Stearns. And Jareth Stearns had uh, four catches for 51 yards, including the best throw of the night that Kyle Trask made uh, for a touchdown, about 20-yard touchdown to him. Um, and Stearns also made the catch on fourth down to get them into field goal range for Borgallis. He's about five foot eight, Steve. I mean, if he's 5'9", if he's they're lying, okay? This kid won the triple crown, which has rarely happened in college football in receiving, where he led the nation at Western Kentucky in catches, receiving yards, and receiving touchdowns. He had like 150-something catches uh, last season, and he just is a playmaker. Like, you you know, you talk about the lights coming on, and it's like, yeah, yeah, he's a dude. He can receive – you throw the ball anywhere near him, he's going to catch it. Doesn't matter how big he is. Doesn't matter if he has to leap. Whatever he has to do, get hit. Uh, fearless over the middle and really, you know, got them down there. And then with the fourth, fourth down conversion and got him in a field goal range, it was really impressive. So, you know, there was um, – there was a lot of good things, I think, to like about some of the young players. You know, Hainsey did okay, um, nothing spectacular, but he held up 
um, in the plays that he was there. Nick Leverett came in and played center after that. Leverett also started at guard because I think he's maybe going to win that position. Stinney had a spotty kind of day. Aaron Stinney also competing for the left guard spot. He played some right guard uh, when they were out there because they were, you know, they sat like 20-something players as far as the starters go. They they need some tackles. They're a little deficient at the tackle position. Josh Wells wasn't there because his wife had had a baby a couple days ago. Obviously, they didn't play Donovan Smith or Tristan Wirfs. So, again, you know, Trask was working kind of with, you know, one hand at least tied behind his back. But he elevated the play of the guys around him. And I think that's what good quarterbacks do. I think that's what leaders do. And if you talk to him, um, some of the players after the game, they said, yeah, man, in that in that two-minute drive, um, he was completely cool, calm, you know, we're going to do this. And, you know, they, they had a penalty that got him back to like third and 22. And I was kind of thinking – that maybe um, Mike McDaniel wouldn't take the penalty. It would have made it forced to like a fourth and 11 or something. He took the penalty, and Trask kind of told his team, like, look, we're going to get – we got two two shots at this, so let's get a chunk here, you know what I mean, and then we'll worry about fourth down rather than, you know, press to try to get all of it at once. And they got about 10, 11 yards on the first down and then converted the next one and went on and, and set, you know, set Borgalis up for a field goal, which he then – didn't make so it's going to be a tough decision for you know somebody like uh, Todd Bowles who has to decide with the kicking situation we'll see what Ryan Suck I mean you know what Ryan Suckup is I mean Ryan Suckup uh, is a solid NFL kicker and you know they had had so much trouble in the past that when Brady came in here he was the perfect guy to settle that position down. But you got zero 50-yard field goals out of him last year. They only attempted, I think, four of them because he doesn't have a deep leg. Um, Borgalis can boom it from 60. And, in fact, he did hit, you know, uh, a long field goal. I think it was like 54 yards during the game, and he was perfect right up until the last kick that he missed. Uh, 55 yards, as a matter of fact, he had made, and then he made all the extra points. But do you want, you know, it's kind of like, Boy, we'd love to be able to try field goals from in, you know, from from outside of of 49 yards. But is he going to make the 49 yarder for the game winner? And and he, and he failed in that instance. And and you know, it, you never know with these guys because even Suckup, uh, who has normally been one of the best kickers in the league, he he was only 81 percent or something like that last year. I want to say, um, which wasn't a high percentage for a guy that's not going to kick long field goals. So that's going to be a battle to watch. I would assume that Suckup will get the majority or maybe the whole game against Tennessee, and we'll see what happens in the third game against Indy. But it was an interesting uh, interesting first game. I think we saw a lot of a lot of good things for some young players. And um, I'll tell you what, I also think that Miami's going to be good. I, I, I'm impressed with Mike McDaniel. I, and during the, the two days of the workouts, I was really impressed with the speed they have at wide receiver. My goodness. I mean, Tyree Kill and Jalen Waddell and Cedric Wilson and some other guys that they threw out there on Saturday night, uh, they're fast. They use a lot of misdirection. The running game is, is, is not that good right now against the Bucks. I mean, they shut them down, but with the, the number one running backs, I think they would be better. They put a lot of pressure on, on your defense and, and trying to, you know, uh, read your keys and have good eye command and where's the ball and and I think Tua is gonna you know have a lot of success getting it out of his hand and dumping it and not having to be you know in the pocket for a long time holding the ball and when he does Tyree Kill and those guys are gonna make plays so they're gonna be good 
Um, I was impressed with the Dolphins the two days we saw them. Finally, we talked to Todd Bowles uh, in the post game, and then also uh, he revealed some things to us on Sunday morning when we had the uh, sort of the follow from the game. And, you know, we've seen Ryan Jensen around now. He was at the, uh, the joint workouts uh, in a golf cart. He stood on the sideline a little bit, and then he was at the game, and he was kind of walking around without crutches, but he has uh, a fairly sub- substantive um, kind of knee brace or all the way from his thigh all the way down to his bottom of his leg, actually. And so we know something's going on, right? They have not updated his condition now uh, since he hurt that thing in, like, the second day of training camp. And the reason has been that, you know, they, they, they want to have a better prognosis and they've been sort of referring to the swelling that is going on, maybe preventing them from, from actually knowing uh, whether or not he can come back. And so I asked Todd Bowles about it on Sunday, and he said, look, I'm not, you know, in, in so many words, I'm paraphrasing, I'm not, not trying to be evasive here, but basically the doctors tell, tell us that we had to wait and we should know or will know this week as to what the extent of his injuries are and whether or not uh, he can play at all. And so they're still, you know, they're allowing for the fact that, yes, he could be out for the year. Now, the plan was, unless they get that news that's declarative, the plan was to, you know, carry him through the final cuts, the 53-man roster. Then if you're on the roster for a day and then they put you on IR, you're eligible to recall. If they put you on IR now, you're done. You can't come back. That's it. You know, Fanny, that's all. That's all she wrote. So they, they still could do that. It's not like they need the roster spot. I mean, they've got some cuts to make, I think, to 85 by Tuesday. Um, that won't be hard to do. So, you know, you, you got plenty of, of bodies out there. You don't need to make any decisions now. But I think that decision might be um, made for them and announced Sometime this week, we hope. Um, we'll just have to see. So, yeah, that's, that's Ryan Jensen's situation. A couple other guys got hurt. Uh, Grant Stewart uh, got injured. Giovanni Bernard, who did some nice things in the game, uh, is injured. No updates on them. Uh, also, Cam Gill, who was extraordinary. He had a sack. He had a tackle for loss. He was really good. He also went out of the game with an injury. So we'll have more of those updates uh, this week. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Right, back to the Rays real quick. Um, in addition to what was the pitching performance of this year and maybe for several years with uh, Rasmussen um, going you know, 24 up and 24 down, this was a huge win for the Rays in this sense. First of all, the Baltimore Orioles, ha- I believe, Steve, have one, either the best or one of the best records in the American League since the All-Star break. I mean, they've been on fire. Yeah, and, and even start it. that before the All-Star break because they had that 10-game winning streak going That's into right. the series with the Rays right before the break. Now, the, the Rays took two or three there, but they mm-hmm. had won 10 in a row coming into that series. That's right. I mean, they're one of the hottest teams in baseball. They're now 59-55. and 55. Um, But the biggest thing is is that this ended the series, and the Rays won 
the season series 10 to 9, meaning that they now have the tiebreaker over the Orioles if for some reason they're tied at the end of the regular season for the playoff spot. So you won't get, in that instance, if it's those two teams in game 163. The, that's the, not With the new playoff format, there's no more game 163s. Oh, uh, okay. With the added the three-game series now and the extra wild cards, they eliminated game 163s. So there is no more of that. So there's tiebreakers now, and head-to-head is an important one. They would lead. They would win the series ten to nine. So Correct. that that was that was because had they lost this game, obviously they would have been trailing ten to nine in the mm-hmm. series, and that might knock you out of the playoffs. Um, so that was big, and you know, I, I look at the Rays, and it's still a struggle, right, for them to score runs unless mm-hmm. they're playing the Orioles, and unless Randy Rosarina is Ooh. active. <laughs> now that's not a small sample size, by the way. He's played them. Going on, what, three seasons now? Yes. Uh, and the numbers against, I don't have them in front of me, but they're sick. Um, and, and the ball he hits for the three-run homer, it was one of those, you think yeah. he knew it? Yeah, he knew it. Because he got a fastball and just launched it about 400 feet, uh, high-towering shot into left field. Just doesn't even look at it. Looks straight to the dugout. Pounds his chest, flips the bat. I mean, mm-hmm. it was just... A no doubter, and uh, and you know that really. And John Romano wrote about this in the Tampa Bay Times and on TampaBay dot com. It's a really good column. For all that the Rays have done poorly, right? Bad batting averages. Yeah, we've seen that before. You know, it's, that's not new here. Um, bad base running doesn't help you. Worst base running team in the majors in terms of outs on the bases, but still not fatal, right? When when you compare it to other teams. In the league, they had one of the lower batting averages a couple years ago, and they still won the American League, the uh, American League East, by a lot. What's missing is the home run ball. What's missing is the fact that you can't get those crooked numbers up there because they just can't hit the long ball. And so, when you get Randy going, um, especially against your Orioles the way he has. I mean, that's, you know, as, as Earl Weaver used to say back in the day, the old Orioles manager, there's no defense for a three-run homer, you know. And, and that that's sort of was the separation they needed. They wound up winning 4-1. to one. Uh, Should have been a shutout. They got a, a wild pitch late in the game. And after the double, then it was, you know, moved to third on a ground ball, scored on a wild pitch. Uh, but, you know, that, that's, that's the thing. Because even the guys that have stayed in the lineup, the Yandy Diaz, they're not home run hitters, right? Uh, and there's not a lot of them on on the team anyway. I don't know how many Wander Franco's going to hit if he plays a whole season. Mm-hmm. 15, maybe 20, I don't know. Um, you know, but Brandon Lau you needed, right? You needed him to, to, to swing the bat, and he was out for most of the season. He's a the guy that had 39 a year ago. Uh, Mike Zanino, of course, you're not always going to get 30 from him, but you did a year ago. But that's a big fly guy as well. Twenty. Yeah. Right. I mean, you he wasn't 20, going 20, to this year, but you'd like to. But you'd like to. Yeah, you'd get 20, 25. So they they just don't have the big fly in them. And I think, you know, especially in the postseason, man, I, as good as their pitching is, and it's been phenomenal, and I think it could get even better. I mean, who knows? Maybe Glass now comes back and gives you some innings here and there. They're going to get some other relievers back. I just think you, you're going to need that somebody to run into one. And that, that could be Randy because we saw him go crazy in October before. Um, but there's not enough of those guys. And so that that's sort of what this season has been, the, the, the sheer amount of injuries uh, to key position players 
you know, as many as five of them out of the lineup at one time. I mean, they, they're so outgunned on most nights offensively, it's not even funny. Uh, so consequently, I think they're too aggressive on the bases at times, and that's why they make a lot of outs, and they try to get things going. Uh, but it's not a good hitting team, and most of these guys, an awful lot of them anyway, wouldn't be in the big leagues if not for all these injuries right now to the race. Uh, and, you know, that, that's, that's who Kevin Cash has to throw out there. And yet, they're 60-53. and 53. You know, there's seven games over 500, and now they got to go visit the Evil Empire and the New York Yankees at Yankee Stadium. Which Who are struggling. Are really struggling, especially since the All-Star break. Yeah, it's um, – they well, they're starting to get some injuries. But, mm-hmm. yeah, they've hit – I mean, they're not – the Astros have passed them in the American League by, what, two, two and a half games. How about that? Uh, Who would have thought that was possible? Yeah, I mean, Tampa Bay's only 11 games out of the division. Now, I don't expect them to win the division. Right, and the reason I say that is, if the Yankees were to go five hundred the rest of the season, that's about ninety six wins, ninety five, ninety six. Right. That means the Rays at this point would have to go thirty six and thirteen. Yeah. To catch them, I mean, unlikely to happen, but very unlikely. But yeah. just showing you that the Yankees aren't on the roll that they were earlier in the season. But the kind when, of start that they had, to put it in perspective, the Rays last year won a hundred games. Mm-hmm. And you're saying that if the Yankees kind of middly go 500, they're yeah. going to win like 96. Yeah. And, but and, and you remember when the when the Yankees were hot, the Rays faced them a couple series and shut their offense down. They did. They just couldn't they hit. Did. And they gave up That's... several unearned runs, too. The the fielding was let them down. I mean, uh, what the one series up there, what they gave up eight runs, five of them were unearned. I mean, they gave up three earned runs to the Yankees who were destroying everybody at that time. You know, and and back to Randy too. His career against the Orioles: three seventy two, fifteen homers, thirty eight ribbies, and thirty seven games. Wow. But the other part you said in the crooked numbers, that was Randy's first home run with two runners or more on base since June thirteenth of last season. Jeez. He's had twenty six home runs that have either been solo shots or or two oh, run home runs. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, man, you need the three-run bomb. You need the three-run bomb. That's how you mm-hmm. win games. Uh, somebody said this, and I don't know if it's true. I heard it a while ago that that many or most baseball games are one where one team will score more runs in one inning than the other team will score for the entire game. I don't know if that's true, but every time I see a crooked number up there, I look at the end of the mm-hmm. end of the day, and it's usually very often the case. So. It happened today. I mean, the Rays scored three in the third. There you go. There you Went go. Four to one. Yeah, of course, throwing least. a perfect game for eight innings helps. <laughs> yeah, twenty four up and twenty four down helps. It's it's just it was you know it, it's a, he'll be he has to be incredibly proud of that performance. I mean I don't know how much you can't really pitch much better other than to throw a perfecto. Um, certainly a shutout would have been nice, and you know he gave up just the one hit, but it just shows how hard like you. The funny thing, like normally when you see a no hitter, you see something like a performance like that. There's one or two fantastic plays. There really didn't need. Mm-hmm. There didn't need to be. I mean, Taylor Walls had a good backhand a couple times. I mean, it, basically he got so many strikes, and the Orioles were trying to swing early in the count because they didn't want to be two strikes, which he kind of was on everybody all day. Um, but his his breaking stuff was in such command. He was about 95 with the fastball. He elevated it when he needed to. And just a lot of contact. He only had seven strikeouts, mm-hmm. um, you know, which isn't bad. 
but the efficiency, man, three three pitches a batter. I mean, it was just remarkable, and that's what enabled him. I kept thinking. I was going to say, do you know who the happiest guy in the stadium was? Kevin today? Cash. Absolutely. Yeah, I kept because I kept looking at that pitch count, and I kept thinking, how how high would he have to get before Cash would actually come get him with a perfect game? <laughs> <laughs> and that place would have gone absolutely crazy booing him. Oh, but it, it it was not to be, and he got a tremendous ovation. 18,093 mm-hmm. there. Mm-hmm. Many of them Oriole fans, but God bless them. I'm disappointed. Yeah. I was going to – thought about taking the family there uh, today, today, and we did. Or We're going to go yeah. next weekend. But um. It was a good day, and I didn't know this because uh, some of my neighbors went, and I thought, well, yeah, that would be a good, good game. And then the guy almost throws a perfecto, and it was Ray's USF hat day. So they had the the TB mm-hmm. and the USF colors with the USF logo on the side. It's kind of nice. Yeah, everybody had a hat. I was like, "Look, everybody's wearing hats." What's that all about? And so our good friend Chris Torello was there. So, yeah, I'm sure he was. <laughs> Maybe even Derek Sharp. Who knows? He might have been. S- speaking of uh, teams that play in St. Petersburg, yeah, how about the Tampa Bay Rowdies? And and they lost Saturday night to Louisville, who's the best team in the Eastern Conference. The Rowdies were just behind them. Lost one nothing on the road, but. That snapped a streak of 13 straight unbeaten games. Wow, that's that's pretty remarkable. Yeah, they hadn't lost in almost three months, or maybe it was over three months. But wow. 13 straight games, they hadn't been beaten. Of course, some ties in there in soccer, yeah. but that's still Whatever. an impressive run. Uh, they're still they're sitting in third place right now in the conference, tied with Memphis for second. Memphis has the tiebreaker right now. Right. But they're do, they're, the Rowdies are doing extremely well. Uh, they got off to a slow start this year, but. Uh, playing really well now. Lost one nothing at Louisville. Didn't play their best game. Well, that's usually what happens when you lose. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> uh, the coach wasn't too uh, happy with. But some you, of the lost to a, but... you lost to you lost to to the top team in the league. I mean, it's not yeah, like... on the road, so you know yeah. you, you'll take a you know one zero loss. It's okay. I'll take thirteen without losing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so just start another thirteen game unbeaten. Streak. Impressive. Friend of mine is having a birthday right around Labor Day, and. I think I've told you, uh, huge Rowdies fans, um, season ticket holders. Guess where the party is? Rowdies Rowdies game, game, though. That's beautiful. It's going to be awesome. They're taking on uh, Vegas that weekend. I just hope that it's not 1,000 degrees. It might be. That's all I hope. It could be warm. But maybe I'll bring a fan or something. I don't know. But you're on the waterfront. It's, you know, come on. The great thing about Rowdies games are two hours. You're not sitting out there for three or four hours. It's a two-hour game, and... And who's going to watch the game anyway if we're having a birthday party? No. I'm just saying. I would, but that's me. No, I, I'll watch some <laughs> of it. Of course I would. It, I, listen, I have a romantic relationship with what used to be, and I don't know what they call it now, Alling Stadium or Alling Field down there. Still is. Is it still? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I remember I was a kid, a, a real little kid, when before they – the one they have there now that was just concrete replaced one, which was not. Uh, it was an old ballpark made of lots of wood and steel. Um, and back in the day when my dad coached Legion ball there, his early teams would actually get to play there. And I would be like upstairs and I was doing the PA. So I would uh, say, you know, now batting so-and-so. And I was probably, I was probably about 10 or 12 or whatever it was. And um, so they'd hit a foul ball up on that roof and the roof, let me tell you, you were going to come right through it down to the bottom. But at that time you wanted to save the balls because you know, is Legion ball. It wasn't like, you know, they had to buy the baseballs. It wasn't like we we're the major leagues or anything. 
but there was tar on the roof because it was just a it's just a tar roof and so inevitably they'd get scuffed up and they couldn't use them anyway but i'd be out there you know very gingerly walking on this roof trying to retrieve these baseballs um they built the new stadium and then of course you know all the spring training games down there the cardinals trade in st pete the mets trained in st pete spent a lot of time down there that stadium i played in the new stadium the one that the rowdies play in now in legion ball had a we had big crowds there for certain tournaments and things like that. So I, when I go down there, I, you know, I'm nostalgic about it. I think about it still as a baseball stadium, uh, but the location is second to none, and uh, it's just a cool place, you know, in St. Pete. So I'm looking forward to going back and seeing how it, how it is for soccer and uh, or football, as they say. So that'll be a lot of fun. All right, uh, before we get going, just wanted to remind everybody to uh, take a break from your electric bill. We've got a solution. Let's use it. It's May Electric Solar. They've been in business for 12 years. They've got a big Hudson showroom. They'll show you everything they got, how they install it. 30-year labor and service warranty, $750 worth of surge protection. That's the main difference. Start saving today. Call the solar energy experts, May Electric Solar, 727-819-2862, 727 Six two lots coming up this week. Uh, most likely, we'll check in some college football, maybe with Matt Baker. We're AP poll our, comes out today. The AP poll today, yeah. The coaches poll was last week. These the are the AP smart guys, right? Today. This is in the coaches. These are the these are the writers. These are the smart guys that know what's going to happen. I'm going to say that Alabama, her boy, Alabama, and Ohio State are going to be one and two. Why? Because they're Ohio, Ohio State and Alabama, and they have the two best players in the country at quarterback, right? Bryce Young, C.J. Stroud, so there's that. Yeah, and I, After I'll that, bet Georgia's number three, Clemson's number four. Bingo. <laughs> you nailed it, man. <laughs> and there's your college football playoff. Thank you, everybody. That's right. Good night, everyone. Drive safely. One team from the ACC, and that's it. Um, yeah, but we'll see what Matt Baker's uh, poll was, and we'll talk a lot of college football. It's right around, I think you said there was like 11 days to week zero or something yeah, like that? Yeah, uh, what, next Saturday, the 27th. Incredible. Is, uh, there's a few games, including Florida State plays that day. And then, I must uh, say, this, Thursday this the 1st, there's yeah. usually a lot of games. A few on Friday the 2nd, and then Saturday the 3rd, Labor Day weekend. That's the, the full yeah. weekend, week one. I must say, it's it was uh, kind of interesting to see, you know, all the NFL uh, training, camp, you know, preseason games. Like, football's back, man. I know it's preseason, but it's like, you're like, yeah, yeah, we're here. We're here. It's football. And we'll be talking football now until, what, February? Um, February or March is, or, you know, yeah. we'll have another retirement coming in the Well, that's right. In the spring. What is Tom going to do? Is he going to play again? Is he going to play here again? Is he going to be a broadcaster for Fox? I just hope he doesn't wait 40 days. I don't need that. Nobody needs that. Giselle doesn't need that. I had a little, a little it wasn't news, it was perspective. If you go to the Sunday Tampa Bay Times, and read my notes column on Tom Brady. This should not have been as big of angst as it turned out to be, and there was reason for it because anytime you say, oh, he's gone for personal reasons and we think he'll be back, we're pretty sure he'll be back after the Tennessee game sometime, and then you then you find out that this was planned before training camp. So I wrote sort of like how this all came together and and really it just it goes back to the fact that he was retired and when he started thinking about how, about playing again um he had to think like what would that look like i'm going to be 45 my kids you know 15 what 12 13 and 9 or something like that um 
you know, obviously lots of needs there. And, and so they worked this out so that he would come in and participate for the first couple of weeks, get acclimated, do all the install, because all the offense installs in the first couple of weeks. Obviously, he had a lot of new players to get used to, and then he wasn't going to play in the first two preseason games. So I was like, you know what? I'm taking off then. And I don't know what he's doing. We've checked. You know, the problem is that when the Bucks throw out you know, personal reasons, you start thinking, well, the parents, we've been through this before. I know we talked about it. Uh, they're fine. The kids are fine. The wife is fine. Like, there's, no, there's no like blinking red light anywhere. And it turns out that it was just kind of bad messaging. Not that I think Tom wanted to specify why or what he was doing, but this could be also something that you see in the NFL going forward. Like, it's it, it's not unlike Brady to kind of be a trend, trend center here. I mean, he is railed against OTAs. He has said they're unnecessary. He doesn't know why other sports, you know, guys aren't throwing 95 miles an hour in January uh, before they go to spring training. So uh, he's kind of been a leader in that field. And, and now at 45, you only have so many pitches in your arm. Um, and he'll have three full weeks to get ready. And it'll turn out that he's probably going to miss – so you missed a practice the other day, then the install, which he wouldn't have been participating in anyway, so that doesn't count. And then he's, you know, they're going to have a light workout tomorrow, which is kind of a get the, you know, get the kinks out after the game type of thing. Then they're going to fly on Tuesday after a short workout to Tennessee, where he could have practiced one or two days there. So that's maybe four practices. He wasn't going to play in the Tennessee game. The next day they're off anyway, and then he's back. So it's like a grand total of maybe five practices maybe three of which he would have taken fairly seriously. I, I just don't think, you know, in this grand scheme of things, like he, he worked it out. Like this is what he wanted to do. The Bucks were okay with it. And the messaging was probably uh, could have been a little bit better. But regardless, uh, this is what quarterbacking looks like for Tom Brady at 45. So check it out in Tampa Bay Times and on TampaBay.com. We'll have our mailbag. I got a bunch of questions already. You guys can send those in uh, at NFL Stroud on Twitter, at SportsDayTB. Or my email address is rstroud at tampabay.com. We'll do all of that. Thanks for listening. Hope you had a great weekend. For Steve Versnick, I'm Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times. Have a great day, everybody. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.